Talking Teenagers. I'm James Schoen. And I'm James Certin. Conversation, expertise and advice on the world and well-being of our teenagers. Hello and welcome uh, to you all uh, to Talking Teenagers. And today, I always say we're lucky, but we are genuinely lucky um, to be speaking to Dee Clark. And I might just say hello to Dee. And tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey, please, Dee. Okay, well, my name's Dee, um, and I have been a nurse for 45 years. For a long time, I had various jobs in hospital, being a ward sister. But during that time, I had six years off, not on maternity leave like lots of people do, ladies do. I went and worked in um, an outdoor pursuit centre called the Christian Mountain Centre in North Wales, And it was working with inner city kids, really, um, introducing them to the environment. Some of them never seen a sheep before. It was absolutely fantastic work. And I've always loved teenagers, probably because I've never had any of my own. Um, But I've always been since I was in my 20s, I've been involved with teenagers one way or another, either working with them full time, working in youth groups within church Um, working in outdoor centres, going on different camps as cook or nurse, whatever. Um, And then 24 years ago, I read about a job where they wanted a nurse, a counsellor and teacher at a little school called Moncton Coombe, which I'd never heard of. And that is what we say is history. And I applied and got the job and had a fantastic, I've always loved each step of my career. I've loved it. Not that I've ever looked for a career. Um, and I've always thought it can't get any better than this. And it always has. Well, well one, one of the reasons we'd really love to um, sort of zero in on your wisdom, um, Dee, is the whole area of, of what is happening to young people as they move out of childhood and move through the kind of adolescent season. Um, I think it's often a shock for parents as they lose their, their little boy or their little girl. Um, should we start with boys? What, what's really going on with a young boy as he moves from, you know, maybe 12, 13 and into that kind of adolescent tunnel, as it's sometimes called? Puberty, that great word. I remember I remember asking um, a group of 11 year olds, what was puberty? What was puberty? And one boy put his hand up and he went, oh, that's caused by those things called um, oh, what they called hormones. And I thought, actually, that about sums it up, really. Horny bones. And I think that it is really difficult to get it right with teenagers because they're not children and they're not adults. And actually, basically, whatever you do, you're going to get it wrong. Because, of course, some in some ways, they want to still be treated as children. So they'll probably still be very upset when you don't give them their Christmas stocking on Christmas morning. Whereas, of course, they want to push the boundaries and break those boundaries and explore and leave their parents be home as their fam- families become, as their friends become much more of an influence than their families. Yeah, we. I had a moment this week, actually, I'll share with you, where my daughter had to come up for a dentist appointment. And um, and then she said said to us, she was going back to university, she said, oh, yes, I must go home tomorrow. And it was like, oh, my goodness, suddenly, like, <laughs> she's gone from thinking of our home as home to suddenly, like, university is home. And, uh, you know, it was it was slight kind of uh, mix-up of, of, of language, but that's what it was. And it kind of, it, it is that kind of journey, isn't it? Really, really from the start. Puberty is propelling them 
to find their own home, isn't it? Away from the family home and, and doing that. What are the kind of what are the biological things happening, Dee? Then, if we're starting with boys, what's happening with boys that, that's creating all this? Well, hopefully they have. They it's their testes that are producing testosterone. And I always talk to the boys about the reason why doctors ask that they've got two testes in their scrotum, and the reason why we they have their testes in their scrotum. And of course, that we know that some boys have undescended testes. And it's really important when they hit puberty that both of those testes are in their scrotum because they need to be stay cool. And also if they're left up and inside of them, which some little boys, they, they do, then they need to be brought down because one, it will cause infertility and actually they can become precancerous. And then right from that very early age, I start to, especially with the boys, I get them to encourage them to actually feel their testes to know their balls and check them out and especially year nine boys they think this is very funny but of course it is really important to get young boys to to actually get to know their own bodies so I talk about all sorts of things that happen from a medical point of view naturally I don't talk about testicular cancer with 11 12 year olds but of course we know that testicular cancer is prevalent in younger people so from 15 to 25 that's the age that often um, testicular cancer occurs. So by the time they get to year 13, I want them regularly, at least once a month, checking out their, ter- their testes. Because there are, there are other things like torsion, which I'm not particularly worried about because the boys will come and get that sorted because, of course, it's excruciatingly painful. Torsion is where a testy twists and it's like cramp in your balls. And so, of course, they do actually seek help quite quickly uh, for that because it's excruciatingly painful. But things like varicoceles, a hydrocele where they can get a little bit of infection and a swollen testy. And so for them to regularly feel their testes, to know that one feels slightly harder than uh, lower, one hangs slightly lower than the other. Um, They feel a bit like hard-boiled eggs, that you've got little sort of funny bit at the top called your epididymis. I like to get the medical words in. That feels a bit like scrambled egg. And they can often feel their their sperm ducts, their vast difference. And all the way through, right from early age, I talk about all the medical names for all the different bits. And I think especially with boys, their mood changes can be very quick. We talk about the girls having moods just before their periods or during their periods. But for boys, they have these testosterone rushes that happen all over the place. They can have an erection in the middle of maths because, you know, that some have wet dreams, some don't have wet dreams. And they're, they're at that age when they're teenagers where they're always comparing themselves to others. And I think it's often the very simple things like acne. And I always talk about acne with them, you know, Acne is really linked to testosterone. Unfortunately, often the boys have lots of problems with this. There's a whole family of antibiotics that are specifically kept for the treatment of acne. And we all know, I don't know if you can go back to remember when you had that spot on the end of your nose, something like spots can take away self-confidence. You're so aware of that. And so sometimes simple things like that, knowing that if they get acne, that they should seek treatment. And certainly as a school nurse, I wouldn't go up and to a boy and say, oh, my goodness, that looks dreadful that, you know, your acne looks. But I might say, gosh, that spot looks really painful. I think that, you know, it's time that we we need to get that sorted. I mean, the main aim from a medical point of view is that they don't end up with permanent scarring, which, of course, that can happen. But also it's their self-esteem, their self-worth, their mental health. 
can be something really affected by something as simple as acne. The other thing that I always try and mention, especially when they're coming into puberty, is the fact that a lot of boys get breast lumps during puberty. And interestingly, um, I was talking to a group of year nine parents last year, and one of the dads came up to me and said, I'm so pleased you're talk, teaching my son about that. He said, you know, I thought I was turning into a girl when I was a teenager. One-sided, because it was only one, one breast that was growing. Actually, one of the caretakers at school, I was chatting to him as I was coming out just last week. And he said that his mum had found him, you know, really upset one evening. And his dad, had, they'd, both mum and dad had gone into a complete panic. They thought he had got breast cancer, you know, as a teenage boy and whisked him off to the doctor as an emergency. But of course, that's quite common um, to have breast lumps for boys during puberty. And I think that sometimes they just don't, they're growing, they're having growth spurts, their arms are getting too long, they get ingrown toenails because they haven't told their parents that their shoes are getting too tight. And on average, and this is a really sexist comment, and I try not to be sexist, but on average, it takes men three months to, if they've got, if they're worried about something, it takes them three months to go and do something about it. Um, And so with the boys as well they, they talk about football and everything else but if they're worried that their foreskin on their penis isn't going back and they're starting to get a phimosis that tight foreskin they're not going to tell their mates about it they'll just worry about it and so from my point of view I try and tell them all the facts in a very medical way a lot of research has been done and actually teenagers often like it all done very medical straightforward you know I draw big penises on the blackboard and I get them to label the parts and do you think sorry on, the, on that basis do you think you know for parents out there when they're dealing with a lot of these things I mean we had the issue with one of our children they had growth marks I hadn't realized you couldn't get marks when they grow so quickly stretch marks stretch yeah. marks yeah exactly I don't kind of see so that would sort of post birth for women but um I think you know the, the way you've talked about it is is to just be very matter of fact and actually as parents to sort of, rather than address perhaps initially the emotional, whatever it might be, if it's acne or testicular problems or, uh, you know, lumps, is actually just to go down the kind of slightly more matter of fact, medical, this is normal, this has happened, you know, this has happened to me or this is, I know someone else has happened to, or, you know, so, so that's not a bad approach for a parent, is it? To sort of make it in a very unfussy way, perhaps. Yeah, I think, I think, I think it helps because I, I come from a medical background, so I can be very matter of fact. And I think it's not assume, I think that one of our problems is we assume young people know it all because they, of course, they act as if they know it all because that's where they're at in their lives to find, you know, what I think once you get a bit older, you don't mind admitting you don't know it all. But for them, it's really important. And so I think it's, it's just being very matter of fact about everything. And and, and share it for parents to share their views. You know, actually, parents are entitled to have their views on subjects as well as their teenagers. And I think if, you know, I sometimes say to parents, if you're not sharing your views, you're the only one that's not. And actually, they should know. And I think that, you know, one of the statistics is we have the highest rate of teenage pregnancy and sexually transmitted infections in Western Europe. And when you look at places like Holland, they're far, far less 
And I don't, another famous Davina, uh, Davina McCall did a whole series of programs based in Holland. And she went into a class of not year nine, these were nine year olds. And she said, you know, well, what form of contraceptions do your mum and dad use? And they all put their hands up and said, oh, you know, my mum uses, you know, this and the cap or the pill or the coil or Nexplanon or Novo Ring. And they came out with all of the all of those answers. They all knew what form of contraception. I asked year nines, what form of contraceptions your mum and dad use? And they all go, oh, no, they don't have sex. And they seem quite surprised that for the majority of their parents, they would have had to have sex at least once. Otherwise, they wouldn't be sat in my classroom. Is the sense, dear, are you saying that we're far too sort of um, almost prissy about it and we should be much more open? Um, and, and, and that actually from a younger age, you know, that, 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 that young people need to know more about sex. Is that, is that what you're saying or...? I think I think it's I think they're all different, and I think that it's seizing the opportunity when they they ask the questions. And you know they're all cringe as do parents about having a sex talk. I think that's that's not on really. But it's seizing that moment. You know, if you're in the car, especially if you're not face to face, I think that's quite good. If you're on a walk or something, or you're watching a program together, I mean, what do you think about that? Do you think that's healthy, unhealthy, safe? unsafe you know I think they're bombarded with all this different stuff and but I don't, but rather than making a big thing of it I think you have to just keep it really matter of fact. Can we turn to thinking about girls then obviously a very different experience for them going through adolescence you know what again what would be your sort of main takeaway points in terms of what they're going through in terms of how that affects them? Um, I think I think for girls you know we always used to do the, the tampon and chocolate talk sort of talking about their body changes of course they mature much quicker our boys will they actually carry on growing not as such a fast rate but until they're 21 the girls they probably have you know by 12 they're probably as tall as they're going to be and of course they they have puberty much sooner one in a hundred girls will start their periods at age eight and it's getting younger. So that is quite young to know about periods and to have the hormones and to have pain and things. So again, I talk about the practical, we talk about the anatomy and physiology. I think that the girls are under lots more pressure with certain looks. You know, I mean, I can remember, you know, shaving my armpits at school, but I was never under any pressure to save my shave my pubes and now girls at really young age are feeling under pressure to shave off their pubic hair and when I ask them why they say well it's cleaner and so I just tell them you know it's really interesting you know when I was a ward sister if you were going to have your appendix out we would shave your pubic hair off because we thought that would make you cleaner before going to have an operation and now they realize actually of course by shaving you're scratching the skin, you're having more pores for infection. And so actually it's not, not so hygienic to shave. You, we get people to have a shower before they go for an operation. And I remember seeing one girl who, she was, she was probably year 10 and she came crying to the medical centre one day and she'd got ingrown hairs in, in her groin area where she had been shaving her pubes and the hairs had in, ingrown and she'd got these big boils just uh and it's they're just such under a lot of pressure now and have you know i'm sure that you know that things like labia reconstruction because of you know external 
skin of um, the female genitals. The latest thing seems to be hymen repair because in some cultures it is really important that you prove your virginity um, and therefore you need to bleed the first time you have sex. And as we know, the hymen is just a tiny, tiny little bit of skin that partially covers the vagina that can very easily be broken, you know, riding a bicycle. And so, of course, lots of girls' hymen aren't. They're already broken from a very young age. And so now girls in some cultures are having um, hymen repair, female genital mutilation, removal of the clitoris. Now, that's a cultural thing. But those are things that we've started to talk about with the older girls, especially some of the pressures that some some of um, these young girls are under. I think understanding their body and I think that anorexia can be linked a little bit to not wanting to grow up, not wanting to develop breasts, staying pre-puberty. Um, and of course, in anorexia, of course, you become very hairy because of, again, because of your hormones, your periods would stop if you were anorexic. It's one of the real warning signs of a girl's period stopped. But just reassuring them that some girls will have a period every 28 days. Some won't, you know, especially in the first couple of years, it's very normal to be irregular, to have irregular periods, to have some spotting in between periods. Um, I'm very keen, and that's from a personal point of view, I had very painful periods when I was a young girl. And I think some people think, oh, you're a wuss if you if you have suffer with painful periods. And if you don't, then you're all, you know, great and you can got a high pain threshold. Some girls have extremely painful periods, extremely heavy periods, right along at a young age. But there's really good medication out there. We, sh we shouldn't have to have the girls um, suffering um, with periods that it shouldn't be ruling their lives. Um, and so just encouraging them that if they are having problems to go and seek help, not think they've got to grin and bear it. And just talking about all their other body changes of hair and, and breasts and all of those things being normal and stretch marks as well being normal as they grow, sometimes on their breasts. But it, but it, they they fade once they, their body's kind of caught up. But I can remember I, I'm about five foot ten and I can remember being five foot ten um, as an 11, 12 year old and hated it. I felt like a giant. I was taller than all the boys in my class. I was the tallest girl in my class. And I walked walked around stooped for about a year. Actually, James, James and I have often talked about our different experiences through puberty because I hit puberty in the same way as you. I, I hit puberty very early. I think I haven't grown a centimetre since I was about 12. I remember shaving, at, at, you know, in year eight, I think. And the, I mean, it's, it's quite interesting, isn't it, that though? Because you do get very different experiences because boys can be, you know, it could be five or six years difference. And you do see a, quite a strong correlation between sort of a young boys or man's confidence alongside their physical development you know so with parents in that sense if their child is developing very early or very late would you have advice for them in terms of how to deal with it I think it's just trying to reassure them that everything's normal um that they're, they're not abnormal and one of the things that I used to do when I taught um PD in their old medical center is because it was covered in photos of old pupils at the end of that let that first lesson we went around and looked at the current sixth form when they were in year seven and of course you know you had these tiny little boys in year seven that were now six foot four giants in they knew them in the sixth form and I think 
that's just really encouraging that they see other people. And especially if you're, you know, dads to say that actually you do catch up. But I I really do feel for year nines. When I look around year nine, you've got those that are still little boys and you've got those that are shaving three times a day. In, in terms of, and, and I guess that's, you know, even in your own family, that's different. Uh, two of my children hit puberty very early ones, you know, a little bit later. So um, in terms of that, coming back to sort of girls and, and actually one of the things you alluded to is this idea of changing bodies. I mean, actually you forget really, it's such a profound time. I mean, my body changed, I would say, quite considerably. I had dead straight hair, suddenly went really curly. You know, parts of your body, you know, and your face change. Uh, how much have you had, in, you know, of, of, of sort of teenagers really struggling with that change and how do we help them, you know, in that? I think it's a massive change. And I alluded to the fact at the beginning that as parents, you'll never get it right. And that's partly because they don't really know what they want. Um, and they, and they their moods change. They become very moody. They can come very withdrawn. They can start testing the boundaries, challenging your. They won't just accept what you say as right. They will challenge you. They might have been doing that since they were two, because uh, of course, of course, there are some characters like that. But uh, but often during that pubic period, they're really confused about themselves, and I think I think it's really really tough. And so I think that as parents, you just need to be there and perhaps getting into the habits. If, if you if you can still get into the habit when they're older of going in and saying goodnight when the light's off and just check it. You know, even it doesn't matter how old they are still doing that when the light's off, checking that they're OK, because I think it's those bedtime moments. I don't know about you two as dads. It's often those when you've got them on their own and it's just in those little moments I think trying to do something with them as individuals um if you've got four children or lots of children that might be harder but I think making treating them as individuals recognizing like you've just said even within an own family they can grow at different rates just because you've had one teenage son your next teenage son will be totally different but but also not I think parents are really critical of themselves you will get it wrong and so if you just accept that you're going to get, get it wrong sometimes and think, well, that's your, your learning as well. And saying sorry, if, you, if you've got it wrong, just, just say, I'm really sorry I got that wrong. And actually, I think that goes miles to actually helping them realise that even adults get it wrong. So if adults can get it wrong and say sorry, then perhaps it's OK for them to get it wrong sometimes and say sorry. You might not get the sorry out of them during the teens. You might just get a grunt. But just take the grunts. I think teenagers are wonderful. I think it is so exciting to see these young boys and girls growing up into young men and women, giving them confidence in themselves, encouraging them, um, opening doors for them, giving them new experiences, whilst giving them a safe boundary. Because although they're fighting against your boundaries, of course, they need those boundaries to make them feel safe. It's, it's an interesting thing. Um, you know, one of the things that people always say, it's very important to keep a relationship with your child and keep you know, being able to talk and communicate. But on the other hand, you know, putting the boundaries in place, and that often seems to be an area where the whole sort of, it, it all gets quite muddied. And you know, if you're overly strict, actually the children don't want to talk to you. But if you're too laissez-faire, then you're not doing your children any favours. Do you have any wisdom on that? 
I think I think you're not their mate. I think you're the, you're their parent, and I think you have to take. You are res- responsible for being a parent. Now that's really easy for me to say because, of course, I've never had any children of my own, and of course, I've only got the nice bits to do. But I think that I think it's a different relationship, and I think that whilst I think you you can be mates on a certain level, like enjoying a rugby match or I don't know, going out for a beer or um, taking your daughter out for a meal, um, you know, on her own, making her feel very special. You're still still the parent. And it is a fine line. And I think it it will waver in certain circumstances. But I but I think the bottom line is, is you're the parent. Our children are always brilliant at sort of, you know, if you'd ask them to put a bowl away, to turn it into a kind of, oh, you don't love me, you're always having to hurt me. And I think um, I think we found, we used to get sucked into those conversations, you know. Now we just go, uh, I don't think, this is, if you don't think we love you, that's a conversation we're very happy to have. But at the moment, we just want you to put the bowl away <laughs> and just stick with the, you know, once you put the bowl away if you'd like to talk about the other stuff that's great but at the moment it's just about the bowl for me it's not about loving you or not it's just I need to put the dishwasher on and I think sometimes they're very very good at kind of manipulating you and turning coming back to the idea about going in to see them in the evening which I think is a great one and thoroughly recommend is that I read somewhere that actually and this is very true of my daughter that that when they become she became a teenager my, you know, a father's cuddles to her were just as important or a mother's cuddles to her were just as important as they ever were. And I think sometimes we have a feeling that our teenagers don't want us anywhere around them. And that's not true. Um, actually, they do really want you around them. But you just have to be a little bit better at judging your moment and the time and not in front of other people and not when they're trying to get something done or what, you know. And I think that's kind of worthwhile saying. No, I have a big but I still remember, I, I can't remember how old I was, but I went to hold my dad's hand whilst crossing a road. And he brushed me away and said, you don't need to hold my hand anymore. You're a big girl. And I can still remember that hurting so much because I wanted to hold my dad's hand and he didn't want to hold my hand. And so that, that must have happened, I, I don't know. 55, 60 years ago. And I still can, I can still see the road. I can still remember reaching out to touch his hand and him brushing me away. Now I know I was loved by my dad. I know that that didn't mean that he didn't love me anymore, but it is a profound, profound effect. But I think equally, you've probably got cuddly children and you've probably got children that don't like to be touched and cuddled. And I'm, I, you know, we talk about love languages and words of affirmation and quality time and all of those acts of service, you know, and it's, I think it's knowing your children well enough to know how they need you to show that you love them. Yes. And, and seeing how they love you is often a good indicator of that, isn't it? So Exactly. Because we tend to love in our own preferred <clears throat> love yeah. language. It's worth mentioning those five, I think, because I'm not sure we've done that on the podcast, but the but the sort of five ways in which you give and receive love, and it's worth thinking about for your children. You've mentioned, I think, four of them, quality time, which is just spending lots of time with them. And I think that idea of going away with a child or doing something special with a child is very important. Acts of service, which is that making sure that everything's washed and clean and in its right place and, and um, they've got their special meal that night or whatever it might be. Giving and receiving gifts. So for some people, for some children, birthdays or spontaneous gifts are really important for others is not at all. 
physical touch, cuddling, like you said. I mean, one of our children doesn't really cuddle. He just leans. We just call it <laughs> leaning. And then the last one is words of affirmation. So like you said, telling them how, you know, how proud you are or how great they are or whatever it might be. And I think it's worth parents pausing for a second, especially through that teenage years when they do tend to change and recognize when they're little, they sort of need all five. But as they grow, you tend to find that they do gravitate towards a couple of those and just learning what your children might be. They do need all five, but recognizing it. Um, And as we said, how they give love is often how they enjoy receiving it. And I think that it's those little things that are really important. For years and years, I've got two nieces and two nephews. And every Valentine's Day, I would always send them a Valentine's card, always signed with a question mark, you know, who who had sent it. And, And so now they're 30, 29, 28 and 27. That's how old they are. And the year before last, I thought, oh, you know, the youngest one's 25 now. They can't possibly want. And I didn't send them Valentine's cards. And about two weeks after Valentine's card, I got um, a a phone call from my nephew. And he said, oh, you know, Auntie Dee, um, did you send us Valentine's cards this year? And I went, I thought you were a bit big for that. I went, oh, no. We always always look forward to And my, you know, my old girlfriend, she was very miffed that I got a Valentine's card from someone else. I never told it was you. Oh, good. So so I have sent them Valentine's cards this year, even though they're 30, 29, 28 and 27. So just finally, I wonder if mum and dad, son, daughter, teenage years, is there any particular... Sometimes we can overdo the sort of father, daughter, you know, mother, son, all that. We can overdo that, can't we? But is there any kind of takeaway messages on that? I mean, I've never been one particularly to talk with my daughter about her periods. That's been more my wife. And I know my eldest son tends to come and show me things that he's worried about rather than my wife. Do you tend to gravitate physically to the parent that's more? I think it's different with everyone. And I think that that's it. It's responding to them. always being available you know I remember when I first started as the nurse I remember this poor boy coming you know three times with his sore thumb before I realized that actually of course it wasn't a sore thumb that he kept coming with he he needed to talk to me about something and I got much better at picking those vibes up so you know if if it's just trying to have that time to notice that if they they've sat with you a bit longer than they normally do or they haven't left the dining room table as they normally do really quickly or that you think oh I'll make sure that I will go and say goodnight to them tonight with the light out and and there is this special thing with I think I think it's more with boys that they don't if they're telling you something that they they don't really like looking at you and I think girls are a bit better at that at looking because they're 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 more often having that face-to-face conversation about private things or emotional things. But I think the the other thing is we're very worried about mental health of our young people. And I think reassuring them that their mood swings are normal part of hormones and they're caused by their hormones. And it is quite normal to one day get up and look in the mirror and think, oh, I look great. And another day or even a half an hour later to think, oh my goodness. And it's, and that actually, I. Th- I, I, I do believe in that it's great and we've made leaps and bounds in mental health 
I think it's absolutely fantastic that we're all talking about mental health. But I think that we've we've kind of swung slightly, slightly into you need to be happy all the time. And actually, I think I think it is really normal for, you know, for the girls to know that if they cry at the Andrax advert before their their you know their period is due to start it's not because they're having a nervous breakdown or heading into depression and needing to go and see a psychiatrist for the next three years it's because of their hormones and I think for the boys it's a bit more tricky because theirs don't go in sort of monthly nice cycles the boys can go from moment to moment and you know as you know I have a love-hate relationship with rugby but I think that you know, often the boys get quite aggressive and angry and they just don't know how to express these feelings that they're feeling. And that that's why, you know, things like sport is absolutely fantastic for them to release some of those emotions. But it is normal to feel angry. It's a normal. To, we've got to learn to control those things. But those are all normal emotions. I think that's one of the things you can never get right, isn't it, is when when you're with a teenager, are they just being moody because they're a teenager or are they just being disrespectful or rude? And when do you step in and when don't you? And I think that's an impossible question to get right. Good. Well, there's a lot, a lot to think about there, Dee. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. Brilliant. Thank you. Pleasure. Pleasure. You've been listening to Talking Teenagers. Music has been by Rue Paynes. Editing by George Purvis and James Certin. For more information about I Can and I Am Charity, who provide presentations and resources and help build self-confidence in young people, visit their website at icanandiam.com. Be a song.